You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What is up, Grace Church? It's good to see you guys. Hope you're having a fantastic weekend. My name is Kent. I have the great pleasure of serving uh, Grace as our campus pastor for the Olathe campus, and I'm excited to be here with you today sharing the word. I want to begin today by just introducing you to a personal hero of mine. Uh, His name is Manly Beasley. Uh, Now, I can just stop right there. His name's Manly. Uh, That's enough said, right? So kudos to the mom who had the guts to name her kid Manly. Uh, Nonetheless, Brother Manly, as he uh, was known, was a preacher. He was an evangelist who, at the age of 39 in 1970, was diagnosed with seven distinct diseases in his body, three of which were terminal. And the doctors at that time just gave him a very little time to live. They said, you're probably not going to last throughout the year. Well, it turns out uh, Brother Manley lived for two more decades. And in that time, God developed in him a deep understanding of what it, mean, what it means to walk by faith. In fact, that became his life's message. Faith was the thing that he would talk about everywhere that he went. And I had the great privilege of actually hearing him speak in person just shortly after I became a follower in Jesus, uh, Manly came to speak at our church, and he speaks for several nights in a row on this topic, on faith. And uh, I, that would be the only time that I would ever get to hear him speak, because unfortunately he passed just a couple years after that. But that one encounter has had a tremendous impact on my life. His teaching on faith has shaped my life in profound ways. In fact, Most of the major decisions that I have made in my life have been the result of applying the biblical principles on faith that I learned from Manly Beasley's teachings. Now, here's a guy, if he would have lived in the age of Twitter, his quotes would have been blasting out there like crazy. Uh, He just had quote after quote after quote. I'm going to share a few of them with you today. Uh, One of them that has stuck with me for the past 30 years is his definition of faith. And it goes something like this. Faith is acting as if it's so, when it's not so, in order for it to be so, because with God, it already is so. (laughs) All right. I had that same reaction, like, what? What did he just, I don't know. Faith is acting as if it's so, when it's not so, in order for it to be so, because with God, it already is so. Now, I've spent the last 30 years trying to figure that out, uh, hopefully trying to practically make it work in my life. Uh, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes or so trying to unpack that idea for you uh, today, and uh, hopefully we'll get through it. Um, but I believe it's biblical. I believe it's so necessary. If we are going to be people who actually walk by faith and follow Jesus the way he desires, to follow, uh, desires us to follow him, we need to get this. We need to understand what this means. So uh, let's do this. Let's ask the Lord to help us. God help us. Let's ask him to help us unpack this, to understand it, um, and then to hopefully apply it. So let's, let's go before the Lord. Father, we, we do come before you uh, in need. Uh, all of us, we need something from you 
as we've gathered here, uh, as we might be listening online or at the, one of our different locations. God, we just, we need something from you. And we pray, God, that you would meet us in this place of need, that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to understand, give us wisdom. May your spirit direct us. And Father, for anyone here who uh, maybe it's their first time at Grace or, or maybe it's just their first time in a church period, maybe they're just trying to discover what this whole Christian thing is about or following Jesus is all about, uh, God, I pray that you would open up their hearts, open up their minds, uh, reveal yourself to them and show them what it means to trust you. And God, we just pray that you would answer all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are right in the middle of a series called Foolish, and we're talking about faith. We've actually been walking through uh, the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're looking at stories of individuals. It's actually chapter 11 of Hebrews is looking back in the Old Testament at stories of people who walked by faith. They lived by faith, even when it was foolish or it seemed foolish to do so. Foolish to them and foolish to the people around them. And we have looked at several stories over the last few weeks. We're going to look at another one today. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. And Joseph lived an incredible life. You can find his story in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 to 50. And he lived a fascinating life of faith. He lived a life of, of, of receiving promises from God and uh, acting upon those promises, even when those promises, for the most part, seemed absurd. They seemed ridiculous. They seemed foolish. Uh, but he walked into them, and he just had a fascinating life. And if you've not checked that out, I, I highly encourage you get in there, Genesis 37 to 50, and discover more about the life of Joseph. Now, oddly, even though there's so much Scripture dedicated to him, uh, oddly, in chapter number 11 of Hebrews, there's only one verse dedicated to Joseph. And uh, it's a verse that describes an obscure and seemingly insignificant portion of his life. In Hebrews 11 and verse number 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. That's it. Now, those of you who are familiar with Joseph's life, you might be saying to yourself, what? Like, that's it? That's what we're going to get out of the life of Joseph? All the things that he did, all the things that he trusted God for, all the miraculous things that God did in his life, this is what we get? Yeah, I'm asking the same question. This is a reference, actually, to Genesis chapter number 50 and verses 24 and 25. But if you want to write those down, Genesis 50, 24 and 25, that's what Hebrews eleven twenty-two is speaking of. And it's a time when Joseph says to his brothers right before he's about to die, he says, look, I'm about to die and God is going to visit you one day. And he's going to take you up from the land that we're in, which was Egypt at the time, and take you to the land that he has promised, that he promised Abraham and that he promised Isaac and Jacob and that he's promised to you and to me. One day God's going to take us up from here and there. And when he does, he made them swear. I want you to swear that you're going to dig up my bones and take my bones with you when you go. So that's the backstory of Hebrews eleven twenty two, which is great. But how does that have anything to do with faith? How is that a faith statement? How is, how is that an act of faith? That seems more like a request. Hey, when you leave, take my bones. Where's the faith in all of that? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1 begins with this statement. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence... Of things not seen. 
Faith is substance and evidence. Substance, meaning assurance or confidence or boldness. It's a foundation upon which we build our hope in Christ. Now, by the way, that word hope, hope in scripture, that doesn't mean hope like you and I use the word hope today. We use the word hope like, man, I really hope that works out or I hope this happens or man, hope you have a good day. Uh, but in scripture, the word hope means a sure thing. It's you can count on it. It's for sure. Uh, we can expect it. And it's also evidence. See, faith is substance and it's evidence or proof or conviction for the promises that we can't physically see. Substance for things that we hope for, evidence for things we can't see. See, this final gesture concerning his bones is evidence to the substance of Joseph's faith. It was a big statement. It was a big faith statement. He was acting as if the promise of God to deliver his people Israel out of the land that they were in and take them to another land. He was acting as if that was a sure thing. He believed it wholeheartedly, even when there was nothing to suggest that that would ever happen. He had no reason to believe that would happen other than the promise that he'd been given. And he had such great faith in this promise that he actually made his brethren swear an oath. And by the way, an oath back then actually meant something. Not like today. We give oaths all the time. I swear. I swear I'll do that. And then we break our oath. Back then when you gave an oath, you kept it until death. That's how an oath worked back then. And he believed this promise in so much that he made his brothers swear an oath that they would have to then make the next generation swear and the next generation for 400 years until they finally carried his bones out of Egypt into the promised land. You see, Joseph was acting as if a thing is so when it's not so in order for it to be so because with God, it already is so. Starting to make a little more sense? That's faith. Joseph was making a faith statement about his bones. See, this was the experience of Joseph's life. This wasn't a one-time gig. This wasn't his first rodeo. He'd been living a life of faith. He was finishing his life the way he'd been living his life all along. He regularly received promises from God in which he stepped into, he acted upon, even though they might have seemed absurd. But he believed them and he acted upon them until God brought them to pass. Often waiting for years until God brought them to pass. This was the pattern of Joseph's life. It was a pattern of faith. This should be, if we identify ourselves as Jesus followers, this should be the pattern of our lives as well. We should be a people of faith. We should be a people who are are receiving promises from God, believing them, even though they might seem ridiculous, and then acting upon them. That's what the New Testament calls walking by faith and not by sight. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. It's substance and evidence. Do you know why it's critical for us as followers of Jesus to learn to walk by faith? Because faith is what unleashes the power of God into our lives. Faith unleashes God's power into our lives and into the life of others. Faith is the spark that ignites the power of God. Our faith is what brings God's power to bear in and through our lives. Faith is the catalyst for God's work in every facet of our lives, or should be, I should say. It often isn't, but it should be as followers of Jesus. 
You know, Jesus had a lot to say about faith. In fact, he put it this way. In Mark chapter 9, there was a blind man who was asking him to heal him. Hey, would you heal me from, my, from, from this blindness? And Jesus' response to him was, according to your faith, be it done to you. According to your faith, be it done to you. He said this again and again in the Gospels. Over and over, he would tell people, hey, according to your faith, if you have faith, if you have faith, do, according to your faith, this will happen. That's how he, he, that's how he spoke about it. In Mark chapter 11, he said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and you will have it. Wait, what? Jesus, are you asking me to pray as if a thing is so when it's not so in order for it to be so because with you it already is so? Is that what you're telling me? Are you telling me to pray? Because, because which comes first? The believing or the receiving? The believing. The believing comes first. That's what always comes first. What comes first? The healing or the faith? The faith. In John chapter 6, Jesus was asked, what must we do to do the works of God? His response was this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Our work as followers of Jesus is belief. That's our work. We don't have to do the works of God. We don't have to make the works of God happen in life. That's God's job. He does the works of God. Our job is belief. And when we believe, the work happens. Which comes first? The work of the belief. The belief. We believe and God goes to work. Our faith, our belief is the power button. It's the on switch. It's the faith that ignites the experience of God's power in our life. God is at work in our life according to our faith. Oh, Brother Manley, he put it like this. Hashtag Manley. He said, your faith is not according to your experiences, but your experiences are according to your faith. I don't do a great work and then have you put your faith in me. You put your faith in me and then I do a great work. By the way, this also works in the opposite direction. Our unbelief, our lack of faith is the kill switch to God's power in our life. You want to shut down the work of God in your life? Just stop believing. It's an easy way to do it. Jesus said this throughout the Gospels as well. Oh, you of little faith. Man, I would have done this for you. I would have done that for you, but you didn't have faith. You didn't believe me. So, as Brother Manley would would say, he would ask the question. I'll ask the same question of you. What are you trusting God for right now? What are you believing Jesus for right now, in this moment? What are you believing God for? See, some of you, you have some stuff that you need to believe the Lord for. Some of you've got some, some stuff, some mountains that need moving. You've got things in your life that you need to believe God for, but you're not. You're trying to manage it. What are you believing God for right now? Because the reality is, if we're not trusting God, if we're not believing him for something, more than likely, he's not at work in our life. We're not seeing the supernatural. We're not seeing God do things in our life. And if God isn't at work in our life, perhaps we need to take a closer look at our faith instead of questioning God as to why he's not at work in our life. You know, the other day, somebody asked me the question. They said, 
um, hey, what's new? And they were asking that question, not in the way of like, they say what's new and I say not much and I say what's new and they say not much and then we carry on. It was like, they really want to know like what's going on in your life? Like what is God doing? What's new? What's new with the campus? What's new with your life? What's new in your family? And I, they asked that question and I just stood there and I stared at them with this blankness. And in my mind, I'm trying to think, what is God doing in my life? But instead I just sat there. And it was as awkward as this is right now. That's how funky it was. I mean, I just, and I literally just kind of walked away. Like, and I just walked off. I, and I started to question my faith. Like, what am I trusting God for? What is God doing in my life? What is new? What's fresh? What, what fresh move of the Holy Spirit is happening in me and through me and in the lives of others as a result? What's going on? And I literally couldn't think of anything to my own shame. What are we trusting God for? If we can't think of anything, more than likely we're not seeing him at work in our lives. We're just kind of doing our best to manage life as it comes. And that's not walking by faith. So how does this walking by faith thing actually work? I mean, how how does this whole trusting God, how does that practically work out in our lives? And this is the part that I've been trying to figure out for the last 30 years. And I think the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 11 also, but just back a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 13. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says this, these, speaking of all the people that he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 11, all these Old Testament uh, followers of God, who he said, these all died in faith. Not having received the promises. So many of them, they died before the promises were actually fulfilled. Like Joseph and his uh, the land, the promise of the land. That happened long after his death, but it was a promise he trusted in. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now in this... One verse, I think we have a formula for faith that will help us to practically work this out in our life. You can see it right here. These all died in faith and they saw the promises. They were assured of the promises. They embraced the promises and they confessed the promises. That is our formula for faith and how this practically works out in our life. Now, I could spend a week talking about each one of these things. Ain't nobody got time for that. So I'm going to compress it. I'm going to try to just give us an overview of what these things are are talking about, what they mean. First of all, what does it mean to see the promises? These all died in faith, having seen the promises afar off. They saw them. Now, what that means is somehow God delivered a word to them. Manly Beasley called this getting a word. They got a word from God. Somehow he delivered a promise, a directive. He gave them wisdom. He gave them insight, whether it was through a direct voice, whether it was through a dream, a vision, somebody else bringing it. But somehow they got a word from God about something. Every act of faith in God begins with seeing a promise or hearing a promise. We can't believe in an act upon a promise that we've never seen or heard. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now there are two 
basic types of promises that we can hear or see from God. One is just general promises, the promises that we all can open up our Bibles and start reading through. It's what Tim was talking about last week. These promises that we all have, they're for all of us and we can choose to believe in them or not, but they're general and they're to everyone. But then there are specific promises, promises for your life and my life specifically. Somehow God is leading us down a specific path in life. And we need to hear the promises of God about what we're supposed to do in life. And many of us, we don't walk that way. We just kind of let life happen and roll with the flow. But God wants us to walk with him by faith. And so we need to seek him for specific promises. Where should I go to college? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should I move here? Should I take this job? What career path should I have? Should I take my family and move them clear across the other side of the planet and become missionaries? What ministry should I get involved in? All of these things that God wants to have an active part in our life that often we just kind of just do. Just wherever, wherever the wind's blowing us. Instead of walking by faith, God wants to be a part of that. We need to be actively seeking the Lord, both in his word and in prayer and worship to get the promise so we can see the promises so we have something that we can be assured of. And that's the next step, being assured of. That just means being convinced, being persuaded of them. Manly Beasley would have called this the intellectual aspect of, of faith. We were convinced that in our minds, yeah, that's true, that's right. Uh, yes, I agree. I, I think that's the good. And we, and we have an intellectual assent to the promise. We become convinced that in our mind that it's true. And from there, that leads us quickly, or maybe not so quickly, into the next phase, which is to embrace the promise. And Manly would have called this the emotional aspect of faith. This is where, this is where we differentiate from the head to the heart. Because sometimes we know a promise is true, but we haven't believed it. We haven't received it. To receive means to open up your arms and bring something in to embrace, to grab onto. In the New Testament, we have a phrase that's called hold fast, hold firm to the promises of God. That's what it means. It's the emotional aspect. Not only do you, do you think it's true, you begin to know it's true. You begin to want it to be true. In fact, you want it to be true so badly, you may even start praying for it. You may even start fasting for it. I mean, you desire it. But that's not the end. Because a lot of times, you know, our belief is what drives our behavior. And a lot of times we know what's true, but we're believing the lie. Much like Tim talked about last week. And we're believing a lie. What drives our behavior? What we know or what we believe? what we believe. We need to embrace the truth. We need to embrace the promises that God is giving us. And if we embrace them, there's one more step. And this is where the money is right here. This is where the rubber hits the road. It's confess. We need to confess the promises. That means to agree, to concede, to declare, to admit. It's not just something we do with our mouth, although it is something we do with our mouth, but it's something that we do with our entire being. All that we are, we are buying in. All my chips are in on this promise. I'm banking my life on it, that is true. I'm banking, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna act upon it. It's the action aspect of faith because James said, faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. There has to be a corresponding action to what you say you believe, or it's not a true belief. Faith without works is dead. Manly Beasley called this the volitional element of faith, the act of the will. Now, I want to give you a a simplistic example, and forgive me for how simple this example is, but I want to give you the promise of the chair. Here's the promise of the chair. My promise about the chair is that this chair will hold you up should you decide to sit in it. 
That's the promise of the chair. Now, I can give you that promise, and, and some of you uh, can see the promise and maybe automatically make an intellectual assent to that promise. Like, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I agree. I, intellect, I think that's true. I think that is true, that the chair will hold me up. I, I think the promise of the chair is right, or the promise of the chair is right. And you may stand here and contemplate that promise for a long time. You may stand up here and just look at that chair and think about how that chair would hold you up and think, man, that's, that's so right. That's so true. But after a while of standing here, you may actually want the promise of the chair to be real in your life. You may actually desire to sit down. There may become a time where you're like, man, I, not only do I think it's true, I want it to be true. Brother needs to sit down. I need a chair. So you start to emotionally buy into the promise. But when does the promise of the chair become real in your life? When does the promise, when does the power of the promise get engaged? When you confess. And you don't confess by saying, well, I believe it. I believe the chair will. No, you confess by your action. And now the power of the promise of the chair is engaged in my life. It's real. It's working for me. What are you trusting God for? What are you sitting in? What promises are you sitting down in? What are you confessing with your life that it's true, that it's right? God is speaking to you. God has given you promises. Which ones are you sitting in by confession and saying, yeah, I believe this. I'm going all in. How did Noah confess his promise that there was going to be a worldwide flood? He built a boat. He built a boat on the the, the great floodplains of the Middle East. He built a boat, which probably seemed ridiculous. It probably seemed foolish to him. But that was his confession of a promise that he had seen, that he became assured of, that he embraced. How did Abraham confess the promise that, yes, there is a land out there somewhere for us, and God is promising us that land. I don't know where it's at. How did he confess that promise? We packed his family up, and they moved out. He was confessing a promise that he, was, that he had seen, that he was assured of, that he embraced, and then he confessed it by moving out, even though probably his neighbors were like, where are you going? <laughs> hey, see you, crazy. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> that way. It's in our confession that we see the work of God empowered in our life. You can be assured, you can embrace, but until you actually confess, until you go all in, until you act upon the belief, there's no power in it. Now, this formula should be a regular occurrence in the life of a Jesus follower. I mean, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, then this should be a regular occurrence, so maybe even a daily occurrence. And this process can happen in a very brief moment of time, or the process can be stretched out over the course of years. But it should be a process that is active in our lives if we are followers of Jesus. Now, let me give you just a few examples to finish up here of how this might look uh, practically in, in, in life. You know, a few weeks ago, Tim, he uh, gave a message on uh, walking by faith, and he gave the story of Enoch. And um, in that message, if you go back and watch it, if you weren't, if you weren't here or you didn't get to see it, go back and watch that message. He tells the story of he and Kathy's adoption of their girl, Malin. And in that story, he talks about the fact that he was reading one day and he'd already been heartbroken about a, about an adoption that, that didn't happen. And then he was reading in scripture one day in second Corinthians chapter two and verse seven, he got a word. 
God gave him a promise. In 2 Corinthians 2, 7, there was actually a Greek word that means referred or preferred. It was malon, English malon. And he heard God speak to him in that moment. And God said, you are going to have a girl, you're going to have a daughter, and you're going to name her Malon. And he got a promise. He saw the promise. And then he quickly became assured of that promise. In fact, he said in, in the message, he said, you know what? I didn't think anyone would believe me. I thought this was kind of nutty. So I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I wrote down the date, what the promise was, what the verse was. And he actually had the piece of paper and he showed it to you. And then he took that piece of paper and he stuck it on the refrigerator door in his office. And there it sat. And he didn't tell a soul. He was assured of it. He had seen it. He was assured of it. And over the course of the next two years, not telling anyone, he came to embrace it. Not only was he assured of it, he started to want it desperately. And then he even started to doubt it. Like, God, is this even going to happen? I mean, what's going on? You know, you gave me this promise and that's two years down the road. I haven't seen a thing. He was missing one element. And one day he went home and engaged that element. He went home and told his wife. He confessed the promise. Hey, Kathy, let me tell you what God's doing. We're going to have a baby girl, and her name's going to be Malin. Just shortly after that, they get word that the birth mother's pregnant. The power of God engaged. Now they're raising a little girl named Malin. Here's a shorter example. I mean, in time anyway. Uh, my wife... Uh, when she found out that I was leading uh, our mission trip to North Africa, uh, she asked me, she's like, well, uh, you know, babe, should I be on that trip with you? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, maybe pray about it. And let's see what God does. And, and so she prays about it. And I ask her, and she's like, I don't know, you know, I'm not really getting anything. And so it just kind of, kind of stuck back in the back of her head back there, but it never really went away. And so she was still kind of just wrestling back and forth. Like, is this something? I don't know what I should do. I don't know. So two weeks ago, we're hearing the message on Abraham and the, and the, the passages get going. Right? And, and, and Shannon shared a, a Hebrew word with us that sounds like you're coughing something up, but it meant get going. And she's sitting there and that promise sparked back up in her mind. Yes, get going. I need to get going on this trip to North Africa. That was God. She knew it was God telling her to do that. She became quickly assured of that promise. In that moment, as she's listening to the message, she became assured of it. Yes, I'm convinced this is God. And quickly, she began to embrace the promise. Not only am I convinced this is God telling me to go, I want to go. I want to obey the Lord in this command to go do something that he's telling me to do. I want it. She embraced it. And then you know what she did? At the end of the service, when we have the time where we have folks down at the front uh, and during the praise and while we're doing our offering and all that, we pray for people and we just say, hey, if you want to respond to whatever God may be doing in your life, you come down. We'll talk with you about that. We'll pray with you about that. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm down there. I'm praying with people. Next thing I know, my wife is standing right next to me. And she confessed, hey, you need to pray with me because God told me to go to Egypt. It all happened in a matter of a time frame of a message. Do you realize that should be happening every single time we gather together like this? We should be seeing the promises of God, hearing the promises of God, being assured of those promises right here, right now, embracing those promises and then confessing those promises. And maybe confessing them is responding right here in the moment. Maybe it is getting up from where you're at and coming down and talking to someone and praying with someone and saying, look, I need to confess what God's doing in my life right now. Maybe it's even confessing. I need to confess a sin that's going on in my life. We need to, God's talking to me. Maybe your confession is getting up from here and going out and doing the thing that God is convicting you about in here. 
And not just letting these words fall to the ground, but go out and do something. Don't just get to the place of just assurance, just embracing. Confess it and watch the power of God get unleashed in your life. One last thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you came to Jesus this very way. This is how you became a follower of Jesus. Somewhere, somehow, someone told you the gospel. You heard the promise of the gospel. You heard that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. You heard that he was a perfect man. He lived a perfect life, the life that we could never live. He died a death that we deserve to die. He did that to pay for our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for all, so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can have a trade. They can trade their sin, their shame, their guilt, their mess for God's holiness, his righteousness, his peace, and one day have a hope in heaven. You heard that. Somehow you heard that. And at some point, and this could have took a long time or it could have been a short time, but you came to the intellectual ascent. You were assured, I'm convinced this is, this is correct. This is right. And then you went from being assured and convinced in your mind to receiving it in your heart. You began to embrace it. Not only did you think it was correct, you decided you needed that. I want that. I not only believe it's true, I have to have it. I want to unload this sin. I've got to get out from underneath this sin that is crushing me. I need to unload. I need to trade out. I want forgiveness. You began to want it. You began to embrace it. When did the power of God get unleashed in your life to save your soul? The moment you confessed. And not just with your mouth, although you probably did with your mouth. I didn't confess with my mouth the moment I got saved. I did that later. I confessed with my entire being. God, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I need you to save me. Will you please become my Lord? I want to follow you with my life. I believe in you. I believe you're who you said you were. I believe you did what you said you did. I believe you're going to do what you promised you're going to do. And you know what I did? I put my faith in a promise. And I acted as if it's so, even though it wasn't so. I'm not in heaven yet. My body's not changed yet. I still sin sometimes, but I'm saved and I know I'm saved. I'm acting as if a thing is so when it's not so in order for it to be so because with God it already is so. As you have received Christ Jesus your Lord, it says in Colossians chapter 2, so walk you in him. How did I receive Christ Jesus my Lord? Now walk that way. Keep walking in faith. We need to be a people of faith. We call ourselves a people of faith. What are you trusting God for right now? If you had to get out and write a list of the things you're trusting God for right now, you might be shocked at how small that list actually is. Let's become a people who walk by faith. Jesus, you are good. Your grace is amazing. The fact that you've given us this ability to trust in you and rely upon you and have promises over and over in our life just come to bear. Thank you. Thank you for the promise of the gospel. Thank you, God, that for those here who have trusted that promise, who have believed in it, who put their faith in it, who have confessed it. And God, I pray for those here who haven't done that yet. Lord, would you please convince them right now that you are who you said you are, that you came into this world, that you died for them, that you love them, and that you're willing to forgive them in this moment right now if they'll just confess and believe.
God, would you have your way in this moment for all of us? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.